and you bless this trip with faithfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, good morning, church. I hope you're doing uh, well today. If you don't know me, my name's Billy. Uh, I get the privilege to serve as one of the pastors here. That's a huge privilege for me and honor to serve you in that way. If you got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open up uh, to John chapter 15. Uh, John chapter 15. If you've been here, you know we've been kind of working through uh, the gospel of John in this series called The Real Jesus, where we've been looking at the life of Christ and who he is, what he did, uh, specifically where we are in the part in the book of John, we're looking at uh, Jesus's final days, final hours, really moving up towards the cross where he would go and be killed and uh, crucified and, of course, be buried and resurrect three days later for the salvation of uh, the world. And so we, we see it, and uh, we've been looking through his final words, really with his 11 disciples in an upper room. And this morning, uh, he is done with the discourse. He's finished kind of talking with them and now he's going to pray for them. And so it's a very incredible uh, passage because we get to go into the prayer closet with Jesus himself. You know, many of you guys know the Lord's Prayer, which you probably learned maybe uh, at school or in sports or wherever that was. Uh, well, that was more of uh, Jesus training his disciples to prayer. A better name for that would be the disciples' prayer. This one is actually Jesus praying with his disciples. And so it's the longest prayer in the scriptures from Jesus that we get, and I think we can really, really learn a lot from it, you know, and, and most of us, anytime a preacher's talking about prayer, or anytime you're talking about prayer in general, there's a lot of things that pop into your mind, you know, many insecurities, I don't pray enough, or I don't really know how to pray, Billy, it's awkward when I pray, um, you know, or, or, but here's, I think, a couple things that most of us know, that prayer uh, is important. Uh, you know, the Bible teaches that it's powerful and effective when the righteous pray. And we know because of the gospel, if we're a Christian, that our righteousness has been given to us based on Christ. And so we are the righteous. And when we pray, the Bible says it is powerful and it is effective. And so we know that and we know uh, that it is very, very important for us to pray. But some of us still struggle and say, well, I, Billy, I've been praying for a while, and what I'm praying is not being answered. So does prayer really work? Is it effective uh, in my life? And so we can learn a lot here uh, based off of Jesus praying. And I would just encourage you with this. You know, a lot of people uh, in this room, it doesn't really do me any good to tell you you need to pray, right? You know that. Most of you know that you probably need to be praying more. Listen, I've been a Christian for 10, 15 years now, and I can honestly tell you, there's never been a time in my life where I'm like, man, I'm praying enough. I've really got this thing under control because prayer is one of those areas of our life where we need to constantly grow at being more dependent on God and, and pray and pray and pray. And so I think we can learn a lot from the scriptures uh, today. And so I want to give you an example because there's nothing better than an example to expire us and to motivate us to pray. And so the Bible gives us some incredible examples, but this one probably is the greatest prayer in all of the scripture. So open up John 17. We'll start in verse one. The prayer can really be divided up into three sections. Uh, Jesus is gonna pray for three specific things. He's gonna pray for uh, himself to be glorified. We're gonna learn what that means. Uh, it can also, uh, he moves on to pray for his disciples specifically, his 11 disciples that were on earth during this time. But I think we can learn from that as well as we are disciples of Christ. And then lastly, he's going to pray for those who will believe through his disciples, which is technically a prayer for us. And so Jesus, 2,000 years ago on this earth, prayed for you and I, 
And so that's a really cool thing uh, to think about. So let's go. This is the word of God. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. Let's read it together. Verse 1, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So the first thing we see Jesus pray for is glorification, which is kind of a big word, but basically means that he wants God to make much of him uh, so that uh, in his life, God the Father can be made much of as well. And so Jesus prays that the Father would glorify him in the completion of the mission in which God sent him to do on earth, which would be to die on the cross, of course. And then secondly, Jesus prays that the Father would glorify him in his return back to heaven. It's almost he's longing to get back to heaven, uh, glory with the Father, uh, where he came from before uh, the world began. Six times in this prayer, we see Jesus use the term Father to pray. And so that's important because Father is a relational term. Think of a son or a daughter talking to their dad. That's what prayer is. That's how we should see it. It's us talking to God the Father as we would talk to our dad. There's intimacy there. There's relationship there. Verse 11, he says, Holy Father. Verse 25, he says, Righteous Father. He's teaching us in this how we should pray. Our Father who art in heaven. So he wants us to come to God as his children. Many people call this the real Lord's Prayer, as I said earlier. Uh, the other was kind of a model for his disciples, but here we actually get to learn from Jesus praying himself. Then he goes on to say, Father, the hour has come. We've heard this, this phrase or this phrasing throughout the book of John. Uh, most of the time before this moment, Jesus has said, my hour has not yet come. My time has not yet come. It can kind of be confusing as to what he is talking about, but the hour he's talking about is the hour of his death, uh, crucifixion, uh, and his resurrection. That's the kind of the point of Jesus's life uh, on earth is to reveal God to us, but also to die for the salvation of believers. And so he knows at this point that his death is imminent. Therefore, uh, what does he say? He wants uh, the Father to glorify him so that he can be glorified through him. Of all the things that Jesus could be praying for, Father, take this away from me. Father, I don't want to go this way. Instead, he prays, God, whatever's necessary to glorify you, and if that means to glorify me on the cross, then that's what I want you uh, to do. And so the central theme of Jesus' life is to glorify the Father. And that should be the central aim of our life as well, to glorify God in our life. And so what would change in your life if you believed that the central purpose of your life was to glorify God? For many of us, that's enough. We could literally go home right now because that's the question we need to be thinking about. In whatever situation that we're in, how can we glorify God? How can we make much of God? How can God make much of himself through our lives? That's an important question that we all need to think through. And then Jesus goes on and clarifies exactly why he's dying. 
to glorify the Father, but then also to give eternal life to all those that the Father has given him. Think about that language. And so uh, you see God's sovereignty over salvation here. He's saving the ones that the Father has given him. God knows before you know that you're going to be saved, which is kind of cool to think about. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he knew exactly who he was going to die for. He was dying for those that would believe in his name, as well as the purpose, which is to give us eternal life. And this is the wonder of the gospel, that Jesus Jesus's very death would be the very thing that brought us as Christians life. And that's why we celebrate the cross. Because the cross for us is not a symbol of gloom and doom, though in ways it could be. It's a symbol of glory because God used the cross. It was through the cross that God made a way for salvation for all of us to give us eternal life. Many see the cross as shameful, but Jesus saw it as glory. And we should see it the same way. It pleased the Father to crush the Son, is what the Bible said. It pleased him because it made a way for salvation. In verse 3, Jesus then goes on to teach us a little bit about eternal life. He says eternal life is not just about heaven and living forever. He says eternal life is actually about a relationship with Christ. It's actually about knowing Christ. That word knowing screams intimacy and relationship when you read it. A lot of people uh, miss this. So many of us, when we think about eternal life, all we think about is heaven and the streets of gold and somewhere up in the sky. But when Jesus thinks about eternal life, relationship comes to his mind. And so we must change the way we think about eternal life because if this is the case, the reality is we can actually experience eternal life right now because eternal life is found in a relationship with God, when we believe we get Jesus, he is the treasure. The relationship with him is the treasure of the gospel. What a privilege we have to be in relationship with Jesus through what he sacrificed for us. And listen, if, if we want heaven without Jesus, then we've missed the entire point of Christianity. Like the point of Christianity is that you and I can be reconciled into relationship with God. And so we must see the central message, and we must see the central theme of Christianity. We don't need to miss the point. Tony Evans says it this way. He says, to receive eternal life is to enter into the divine realm with the goal of experiencing an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ, a relationship that will grow throughout eternity. It is the uninterrupted, deepening knowledge and experience of God. And this is the purpose for which we all were created. And so we are created to be in relationship with God. That was the main purpose that Jesus came to earth is so that he could pay the penalty, do our sin. He could take our place on the cross as our substitute, as the Lamb of God, so that God would punish him. And now through faith in Christ, we can be reconciled back into a healthy, good, accessible relationship with God. That's the point of why we were created. And so if we're not in a relationship with God, we are literally missing the point of which God has us on this earth. And then verse four, Jesus says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. This is an incredible question to ask. How do we glorify God on this earth? Well, the same way Jesus did. Jesus glorified the Father by finishing the work that the Father had given him to do for Jesus, this work was about revealing the true nature of God to us 
uh, but also it was about accomplishing salvation by dying on a cross and resurrecting three days later. But for us, it's not a cross, but it is a mission. God has given us a mission. Do you remember Jesus in Matthew 28 as he was getting ready to leave the world? He comes with his disciples and takes them on the hill as he's getting ready to ascend to heaven. And he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And so as he left, he left us with a mission. And that mission is to make disciples of all nations. And so how do we glorify God on this earth? Well, we do that by walking in obedience to the commission of God. We do that by loving God, loving others, and making disciples of all nations. And that's our mission. And how cool is it that as a believer, God invites us into that work. It's an incredible privilege that we get to be a part of what God is doing in the earth. And so my question for you is, are you glorifying God? Like, are you walking in the purpose of God in your life right now? Are you finishing the work that he gave us to do as Christians? The second part of this prayer, he begins to pray for his disciples. I want you to listen. Verse 6, he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I love how Jesus defines what it means to be a disciple here. He, just, he defines it as, Revelation, they saw Christ for who he was, the God-man sent from God the Father to earth to show us God. And they believed in him, and they accepted him for who he was, and then they walked in obedience to his word because they saw him and believed that he was who he says he was. And so if we're in this room today, we live in a culture where everybody's a Christian, so it's very, very important that we define what it means to be a Christian or a disciple of Christ. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you obey the word of God? Because a direct reflection is that you believe that he is who he says he is, is that you obey his teaching. You accept his word as the words of eternal life. And so if we're in the room today and we say we're a Christian, but we're not walking in obedience, then we need to ask ourselves, are we truly a disciple of Christ? Because you can't believe in Jesus as Savior and not believe in him as Lord. He comes in a dual package. If we believe he's the Savior of the world, then we must follow him as Lord. And so Jesus makes this very, very clear even in a prayer. Verse 9. I pray for them, them being the disciples. I'm not praying for the world, for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. I'll remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them. Somebody say protect them. By the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. That's Judas. 
Verse 13, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world anymore than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them. Somebody say protect them. From the evil one. Verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So sanctify them. Somebody say sanctify them. By the truth, because your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, now I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So we see two specific things that Jesus prays for his disciples directly. And this is important because think about it. How important is it and how awesome is it that literally Jesus invites us into his prayer time for his disciples and now we as disciples know how God would pray for us. And so he gives us a, 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 literally a window into his heart to know what God is praying for us. And listen to me, this was not just 2,000 years ago. The Bible actually teaches that Jesus to this day is at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. Romans 7 teaches us that. Hebrews teaches us that. Romans 8, Hebrews 7 both say that God, Jesus, is next to the Father right now interceding for us, probably praying a prayer very similar to this. And so if you want to know what God is praying for you, you can see it. Right here, he's praying two specific things. One, he's praying for their protection. He's praying for their protection. And two, he's praying for their sanctification. So let's look at each of these. In verse 11, Jesus prays that the disciples would be protected, that they would be protected by God's power. That's important. And so he's praying essentially for, uh, for them to be kept in the faith. He's praying for their perseverance, that they would not lose the faith. And here's the good news about the faith is the Bible teaches that it's God that keeps us in the faith, right? If it was up to me and you, we would have lost it a long time ago. But because God gives us the spirit, we now have a protector of our faith, a down payment, as the Bible calls it, a seal of our inheritance, a seal that God's, the work that he began will be complete in the day of Christ Jesus because we have God's power protecting our faith. And so now he's asking the Father to keep them and to protect them. And it's important to understand this because this shows us just how reliant we should be on the Holy Spirit and on the Father when it comes to our faith. Again, if it was up to us, we would lose it. I love how John Piper says this. He says, listen, if we don't regularly feel our need for keeping, then we have lost our hold on reality. Like if you feel like you got this on your own, that you can keep the faith, that you got no problem, you're pulling your bootstraps up and you can do this on your own, you've missed the point. The whole purpose of us following Jesus reveals to us how much we can't do what God's asked us to do, how much we can't be who he's called us to be, which is why he's given us himself in the Holy Spirit to do the work for us. And so what we must learn how to do is to connect with the Holy Spirit and yield to him and allow him to do his work in our life. Verse 12, Jesus also prays that the Father would protect their unity. He says, protect them so that they may be one 
as we are one. What do we see? That Jesus uh, really cares a lot about unity. Unity matters to Jesus. He hates rivalry. He hates division. He hates fighting within the church. Christ wants us to be one as he and the Father are one. And later on, he'll say this unity is actually what reveals his love and who he is to the world. He points us to the Trinity as our example. Have you ever thought about God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being one God but existing in three persons? And so in themselves, they are a picture of unity. They work together, right? You don't see uh, God the Father and God the Son out at the market gossiping about God the Father. Man, I can't believe he sent me to that cross to die. Like You don't see that, right? Because they work together. You don't see the Holy Spirit saying, man, Jesus is just trying to get all the credit. God, I wish he'd just let me take some. No, like we don't see that because the Trinity works together. God the Father, God the Son, uh, God the Holy Spirit all on the same page. And so this is what we call at Connection Church being heart and soul. It's what you just heard about. Being heart and soul for us is what we call, we want the church to operate of one heart and one soul, right? We want to be of one heart, one mind, one will, locking arm in arm together to accomplish God's mission. Because this is exactly what we see the Trinity doing. Verse 15, Jesus prays that they would be protected from the evil one. It's important to understand that we have an enemy. This is why we need protection in a lot of ways is because we have an enemy and his aim is to kill, to steal, and destroy. He wants to kill what God's doing in your life. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to rob you of the joy that God has promised you. And he does this in three primary ways, through deceiving you, he does it through dividing you, and he does it through distracting you. And so as a church, we must be aware as a disciple of Christ, we have an enemy that's working against us that we need God to protect us from. He's a real enemy, and he wants to, to kill, steal, and destroy you and what God's doing in your life. And here's the reality, he's crafty. He knows how to get a foothold in our lives, which is why we need God to help us, to show us areas of our life where he's trying to get in and divide us, show us areas of our church where he's trying to distract us and get us away from what God is trying to do in and through us. And then here's a side note, verse 13. Did you notice this? He says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that the disciples, they may have the full measure of my joy within them. You see what he's doing there? He's contrasting his desire for the disciples versus the enemy's desire for the disciples. And this is important for us to understand. Like God has a purpose for our life. And that purpose is that we would experience complete joy, fullness of joy, abundant life is what he wants for us. But then on the other hand, the enemy has a purpose for our life. And what he wants is sin and destruction. He wants to destroy us. But here's the thing, what kind of idiot, how dumb would a person have to be to say, yeah, I like the death and destruction option. Like I'll take this one for 500, please. But that shows you just how crafty the enemy actually is. Because he, though we know this reality and this truth from God's word, he can still, in some kind of sneaky way, get into our lives and convince us that living for ourselves and chasing sin is better than actually living for God and complete joy and abundant life that God wants to, be, to bring into our lives. 
But we as Christians have to begin to, to, to create, to, to be smart, to know what the Word of God says so that when Satan does come and our emotions and everything in us and our heart and all this want to do something that we know is against the Word of God, we can stop, just like Jesus, when the devil came to him, quote the Word of God to him, I know what you're trying to do and I'm not going that way, I choose joy and I choose abundant life in Christ. We have to be able to do that, and God actually helps us do that, and that's what he's praying for, our protection against the evil one. And I also want you to notice that there's a link there between knowing God's word and our joy. It says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things so that you may have the full measure of his joy, right? And so these words that we have in the Bible are directly connected to us experiencing joy. And so reading and knowing God's word actually increases our joy. As a Christian, reading God's word should not be a burden in our lives. Like it is a pathway to knowing God and joy. For some of us, the reason we don't read the word of God is we don't actually believe that it leads to our joy. And so we don't read it. And this should motivate us to read the word of God so that we can experience the joy and the abundant life that he wants for us. In verse 14 and 15, Jesus then reminds his disciples of the actual problem, which is that they can't be removed from the world. Don't you wish it worked that way, that God would save us and zap us to heaven where we wouldn't have to fight or we wouldn't have to experience anything that this world has to offer uh, anymore? But he doesn't do that. He leaves us here in the world. They must live in the world for Jesus despite what the world's going to throw at them and present them with, whether it's per persecution or attacks or whatever that looks like. And so Jesus is praying for their protection in the midst of this world and what it may throw at them. And so we may, may we never forget that we have an enemy and that we live in the midst of a hostile world that is trying to come after us. And our enemy is prowling around, is what Peter says, like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. And Paul would say that our, our, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's actually against spiritual powers. So we must understand that our battle is spiritual. So why is it so difficult to focus on Christ and grow in our faith? Well, because we have an enemy. Because we have a world that's working against us. Why is it so difficult to maintain unity when you gather a church together? Because we have an enemy. Because the world's working against us. Because sin in us is working against that. Sin wants the church to be disunified. It wants you to be mad at somebody. It wants you to be more worried about somebody else in here than you are the glory of God. And so we must understand that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. But we're called to unify, to maintain the unity that Christ has already put in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So first, we need to pray for protection. Secondly, Jesus prays for their sanctification. He says to sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world... I have sent them into the world. And so sanctification is just a big church word that basically means to be set apart. And what we need to understand about being sanctified is it's really twofold. We're set apart from something, sin, and set apart for something, which is the mission of God. Make sense? Write that down. Sanctify, what that means, God's praying for our sanctification. One, to be set apart from sin and to be set apart for mission. So he sets us apart from something, to something, or for something. And so he says the disciples can't be taken out of the world, and so because they can't be taken out of the world, what do they need? They need protection from the enemy, and then they need to be sanctified in the truth of God's word. They need to be made pure and holy. And so this is how 
uh, we are set apart from the world by obeying the truth of God's word. This is what God's trying to do. He doesn't want you to fit in with the world. He wants you to be set apart. He wants you to be different than the world by obeying God's truth because this world's full of false doctrines and ideologies and lies from the enemy and worldly patterns that we can fall into. And on top of that, our hearts, the Bible says, are deceitfully wicked, meaning our heart wants to go that direction. And so we must know the word of God. And as we know the word of God, it will sanctify us and show us the way to go. It's what David means when he says, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light into my path. It means that his word is what we have to live. We don't live by sight. We live by faith in the word of God. This is another motivator to read God's word. Another motivator to read God's word, to have our joy complete, but to be sanctified, to be purified. Paul says our minds need to be renewed through the God's word. So it teaches us a different way to think about the world and a different way to think about the life. Holiness is being set apart from sin. That's what it means to be more conformed, to be like Christ. This is what the word of God does in our life. And we need to understand being sanctified doesn't mean to be isolated from the world. Doesn't mean you go into like a little quarantine where you uh, stay at home and you don't do anything in the world. No, that's not what it means, right? Even though a lot of Christians want to do that. What it means is we need to actually be doing mission in the world. Like our purpose is the same as Christ. What did he do? He came out of heaven into the world for the sake of sharing and showing people what Christ is all about. That's what we're called to be, is witnesses. So we're set apart from sin, but also for that mission. Jesus' mission is a pattern for us. He's sent into the world, we're sent into the world. Just like the disciples, we're set apart from sin to mission. Just like Jesus entered into the world, we're called to enter into the world of others for the sake of the gospel. We are witnesses to the world. He doesn't want us to get out of the world. He wants us to be in the world living for him, living on mission. He wants us to be salt and light, but we can't do that if we're never around non-believers. You know, so what we have a tendency to do as Christians is we like to rabbit hole ourselves, where we just kind of rabbit hole ourselves in and I'm not gonna look at them or talk to them or see them. I just need to go to church, go to a private school, do this, 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 and all this different stuff, and just I need to get away from them. But that's not the mission. God wants to sanctify us, make us holy, and then send us out into a world that doesn't understand us. But then deep down in them is a desire for eternity. And that eternity is in us in the Holy Spirit to show them what God actually created them for. So we can't rabbit hole ourselves. In or, hey, listen, we can't uh, be like a chameleon where we just go into the world and we fit in. Wherever we're at, we just kind of fit in. We're not designed to fit in either. We're designed to be different. We're designed to show them Christ. We're designed to be Christ to them, to be salt, to be light. And we have to do that in the midst of a hostile culture. And so if, we are, if, we're, if, we're, if we're not living on mission, we're missing out on a huge part of how God wants to grow us. And this is, I will scream this as long as God allows me to be the pastor here. For so many people, you've grown as far as you're gonna grow by coming and listening to the preaching of God's word. Some of y'all need to get off the sidelines and get into the game and begin to live on mission, try to reach people, try to share your faith, share your testimony. And as you do that, what he's going to do is use that to grow your faith. That's what he does. Because listen, nothing teaches you to pray 
more than trying to reach somebody that's blind and they're dead in their sin. You talk about leads you to pray. Nothing teaches you to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Like trying to talk to somebody about Jesus when you're scared to death. And so we must begin to understand. Nothing teaches you to know the Word of God like answering another person's questions that you actually care about. And so, but if you're not talking about it, if you're not living on mission, if you're not evangelizing, if you're not uh, going to be a part of church plants, if you're not making disciples, then a part of your growth you never get to. And God wants you to be sanctified, but he wants you to be sanctified from sin and for mission. And so we must live on the mission. And so Jesus prays for our sanctification. And then he moves to, to part three. He begins to pray for all believers. Listen to him, verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for just them alone, meaning the disciples, but I, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So now he's praying for the people that would believe beyond the disciples' ministry. Verse 21, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you, and you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So how's the world gonna know that God loves them? It's gonna be through our unity. It's gonna be through a bunch of people that don't look alike, that weren't raised alike, that have a ton of different interests, that are the most diverse group of people you could ever think of, being unified through the gospel, being unified, unified through the Holy Spirit, living together on mission. And listen, people walk into that. And when they walk into a service, and it's all kinds of people from different walks of life, different colors, different amounts of uh, socioeconomic levels, different, just different people, they look and they say, what in the world? is going on with this group of people. And it's, it's where God says his power and his love begins to be revealed to the world. And that's who we are, church. That's why we can't just have one type of person in our church. Like you can't just surround yourself by people just like you. That's the opposite of the gospel. Like if you're looking for a church where it's just one type of person and you're not gonna meet somebody that's a little different than you, you're, you're looking for the wrong thing. Like God wants us to work together and to be together for the sake of his glory. Then he goes on to say, in verse 24, he says, Father, I want these you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Can you think about that? Like God, do you realize God wants you to be with him? Like Jesus wants you to be with him in his presence? He wants to take you to heaven one day, but he's also wanting you to be with you, like to be in relationship with you, that should blow us away. And to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. Now I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. It's just amazing to me. Probably the thing that blows me away about this passage more than anything else is that Jesus is praying for us. 
He prays for his disciples, but he prays for those who will believe through his disciples. Guess who's in this room because of his disciples? Us. And so 2,000 years ago, God was praying for us while he was on earth. And what he was praying for us is that we would be sanctified, that we would grow, that we would be used, that not only would people believe through the disciples' ministry, but that people would believe through our ministry and that we would be a part of what he's doing. And there's so many things that this prayer gives us, but I just want you to write three things down as we close. Number one, this prayer is an example for us. Like it gives us an example of how to pray, what we should be praying for. And so if you wanna learn how to pray, go to God. He wants to teach you how to pray. This is a model prayer for us that God would have glory in my life. Secondly, this prayer also reveals priorities to us. What does God's desire for our lives? Like what does God want our priorities to be? You see it in this prayer. He wants your priority to be to live a life that glorifies him, to, to persevere, to live on mission, to be sanctified, to understand we have an enemy that's coming after us. And so these need to be priorities in our life. Like are you prioritizing your growth? Are you prioritizing spiritual warfare, understanding that the enemy's after you? Specifically, if you're living on mission, like if you're just comfortable and complacent, not doing anything, Satan ain't worried about you. But when you begin to make disciples and move forward and try to evangelize and share the gospel with people, he's coming after you. And then lastly, this prayer moves us to worship. What other God, before he literally loses his life on this earth, would be on his hands and knees praying for you? That's a God that loves you. And so maybe you're in this room today and you've never experienced the love of God. Well, this prayer reveals it to you. And listen, God loves you so much that he literally came into this world through Jesus and died the death that you and I deserve to die. So that now we can look at the cross, we can look at his death and in his resurrection three days later and literally see it as if we were on the cross with him because that's exactly what was happening. It wasn't about Roman soldiers beating him to death. It was about God punishing sin, our sin, placing it on Christ and him punishing Christ instead of punishing us. And now he says, listen, if you'll believe in that Christ, and that sacrifice that he made for you on the cross, you can walk in a relationship with Christ. You can walk in relationship with God. You can live with God. He'll give you the Holy Spirit to live inside of your life and do a work in you. But it starts with you saying yes and saying, Lord, that's what I want. I believe he did it for me. I believe he paid, he did everything necessary to save me. And now because of that, I'm willing to do whatever he says. I'm willing to obey his word. So right where you are, I want you to bow your head. Maybe you're in here this morning and you've never said yes to Christ. 
You've never known how much he loves you and what he wants for your life. But this morning you say, Billy, that's what I want. That complete joy, that abundant life. I'm tired of living in ways that are leading me to death and destruction. And I'm ready to turn from that and trust in Christ and live my life for him. If that's you in the room, I'm gonna ask you to be bold in this moment. Listen, if you won't be bold in this moment, you definitely won't be bold in the world. I want you to lift your hand and say, Billy, that's me. I wanna be saved. This morning, I wanna be saved. Amen. Anybody else? Just say, I wanna be saved. I want God to do a work in my life. I'll give you a second. Raise it high. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? I'll give you a few more seconds. Raise it high. We got some people that would love to pray with you and get you some resources, so please go with them. And Father, for the rest of us, here's our prayer. God, what a privilege we have in your word to know exactly what you're praying for us. And so God, as the pastor of this church, I pray the exact same prayer right now for the people sitting in this room. God, would you glorify yourself in them so that the glory in their life would go straight to you. God, not only that, would you protect them from the enemy in their life. God, would you show them ways that the devil has a foothold that he's leading them into sin. And God, would you call them out of that? Would they be willing to lay it down for the sake of joy and for the sake of abundant life? God, I pray for their sanctification. God, that they would prioritize their spiritual growth. God, that you would do a work in them today and in this week and in the days to come that would make them more like Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for the people that are gonna believe through their ministry. God, that they would recognize that you wanna use them. And God, that there are people in their life that you are drawing to yourself and that you wanna use them to be a part of their salvation. God, would you give us boldness God, help us go in the hope of understanding that you want to use us. And God, may we enjoy the relationship that we have with you. So this morning, I pray you would realign our priorities. Lord, realign our lives. God, draw us in to worship you and to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and sing?